Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. You're listening to the Practically Pastoring Podcast where we want to help pastors and church leaders share ideas, become better shepherds and leaders, and have a good time with friends. Welcome back to the final episode of the Practically Pastoring Podcast for 2023. I am here with my friends from across the country. I'm in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I'm Frank Gill. Up in Baltimore, Maryland, we got Jeffrey Simpson. Fresh off the walk-off in OT, baby. Yeah. Down in Sumter, South Carolina, uh, it's a little blurry for me. I think it says eisegesis over exegesis. We got Delmar Pete. Howdy ho. <laughs> and uh, down in the morning after ministry studios, we got Andrew Larson. Greetings and salutations, one and all. And held hostage by the Jacksonville Jaguars, we got Timothy Miller. Hey, hey, still in first place. Rough couple of weeks, but looking forward to bouncing back soon. Andrew is eating that food like he's getting paid on YouTube to eat food on camera right now. It is so gross. <laughs> <laughs> he, like, framed himself like eating that sandwich. Dude, it's so gross. Your YouTube channel should be called The Reverend Eats. <laughs> That's nice. actually a pretty good name. You're nice. welcome. I mean, that'd be great. I could just That's good meme watch. work, right? Live stream myself Great eating lunch work. every day. <laughs> good, good meme work. <laughs> I would tune in. I would tune in. Guys, ASMR. Uh, Christmas, Christmas is around the corner. Hey, I have, I have a nuanced Christmas question before we we asked uh, we asked the Facebook group for questions, and we we're gonna have questions that came today just for this episode. But uh, um, do you guys light uh, Advent candles for your services? Are either of Advent, you guys doing that? Advent candles. Advent count. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you guys doing yeah. are you lighting candles yeah. in your services? Yeah, we are. Okay. Yeah, we have whatever candle, all whatever stuff. candle we purchase, the it goes down so fast. <laughs> like we are like, like watching like, it in real I, time. Like, we are buying new candles every Sunday. Yeah, and we got two services. So like sometimes I'm like, should we replace that first candle? People are sitting there like, like, is this a time lapse? <laughs> this is, is the wax light. like dripping it, down, Frank. So, I don't know. No, I mean it's dripping, but it's not like it's not like I'm making a mess. It's just okay. like it goes fast, and so like we are we have to buy we have to buy new candles each week because you know <laughs> the first candle is like the hope candle, and it's like this big compared to the other candles, and it's like by week three there will be no more hope. You know, there's no hope left. It's just can I tell you two funny <laughs> stories about candles very quickly? Tell, tell me. You could say no, but you won't. Uh, I won't. 
<laughs> Number one is... But he will so, edit this out. Yeah, we use pillar candles for our candles. Are you using pillar candles or like the tapers? I described the difference. Cause I don't know the, the taper the candles are the skinny, skinny little ones, and pillar yes, candles are the big, fat ones. Correct. We're using taper. Yeah, yep. so we're using pillar candles, but this year I got like like slightly less thick pillar candles. And uh, the problem is they all came snapped in half. Andrew, stop it. They all came snapped in half. And so they're just like up on the on the display, just kind of like sitting together. And at like the slightest movement, they will fall apart. So I've been waiting for that to happen. Hasn't happened yet. We're two weeks in. The second funny hey, at story least you got is real candles. Tim's got remote control. Oh, dude, come on, candles. Tim. And everyone was asking why the wax isn't running because there's a flicker mode on them, and you Ugh, can't nice. tell they're fake. We're it's literally using the glow sticks this year. I was like, why are all four of your candles? Bro, what? you got, you you're probably use an AI to write sermons with you're that kind of nonsense. You're using glow sticks? What are you glow doing? Sticks. Baby Jesus well, for, is so sad. For right our now. Christmas Eve service, so sad, dude. that's terrible. We got these all little the symbolism, like candle size. All the symbolism is lost. Oh, okay. Well, Jesus was broken, and we break the glow sticks, and then it glows, and we see his light. Oh, boo. Boo. Yeah. Well, is it for tr- safety, Del Mar? Is that what it's really for? Some of it is. I mean, we do have a large children's population in our church now. Uh, and just to be frank, I think not not literally frank, but we uh, we just put down new carpet in the entire church. <laughs> so a hundred percent. Come on, dog. Let the let the kids have fire. Make Advent great again. Let's go. Come on. <laughs> All right. Get you a second funny that. story. So we have the we have the a set of the purple and one pink taper candles at home for the advent wreath at home that I do with the kids. And I got it all set up, left it where my two year old could reach it, and I walked in the house and I said, Lo, hark, what is that sound? It's the sound of drumming. And I turned and my little one had two of the purple tapers and was using them as drumsticks on the edge of the table. And so they're snapped in like 20 places. Should have had glow sticks. It's sad. They all. So what I did is cut them all short. I cut them all short to the shortest one. And all of our advent candles are about, you know, four inches tall. I'll begin, send you an so. Amazon link for some uh, electronic Sweet. candles, Frank. They're remote controlled and they work great. Wow. So I went Ooh, to a church that control. actually had those. Turn them off from a distance. What is this world coming to? I went to a church that had those, and uh, the guy hey. forgot to change his batteries, and we're in the middle of uh, the service. He goes mm. to cut them on. It was like this big monumentous moment. You know, he was going to click them on, and he clicked them, and like half of them came on, and then he started hitting the remote in front of the whole service. It was it was hilarious. Mm. Which Classic. is why I do I pre light mine before the service starts, so there's they're already lit when people are walking in because I don't want to have that debacle. Smart nice. man, dude. Can we talk about the amazingness of battery powered tiny tiny strings of lights that you can put in wreaths that are way up on a wall and remote control turn on? That's amazing. Do the batteries no, last a long uh, time? We though? have the actual candles. Yeah, yeah, because they're LED. Everything lasts way longer than it used to. So these are our little. Like if you ever forget to cut uh, the wreath off, the and then you come in and it's on just Christmas dead. Eve? No, Dell, it's they're LEDs. They last for years. So you could put a double A battery leave, in there. You could leave those and leave them on for years. <laughs> yes. What? This is, the, this is the long show, guys. Dell just discovered. Dell just discovered LED right lights. <laughs> no, I didn't know that one double A battery could power them for a year. Home Alone Two, where. Listen, one double awesome. battery probably would power all of our wireless mics at church for like three weeks, but none of us do it. 
<laughs> you know? That's true. I'm changing AA batteries every week in church and just filling all them. Right, all right. No one who subscribes to this podcast cares about AA batteries. Like, 100% so somebody just made <laughs> hey, the same discovery so- as Del Mar in this podcast. Yeah, somebody just right realized, now. holy cow, I could buy I, – I avoid those little AA string lights because I'm like, I'm not going to accidentally leave them on and have to change them in two days. But now that I learned you could go for years, Bro, they have I'm going to buy built some in. of them. What? Whatever. They got timers built in. Most of them have a switch <laughs> – when you turn it on, it will stay on for like eight hours and shut off this for the rest of the day. This is game Dylan's going saying. straight to five below when we're done recording. Bro, Bro somebody's <laughs> listening to this right now and calling their treasurer to change the budget for next year for AA batteries. Thank Guaranteed. you for this short right. little okay, rabbit bring it back question. Together. Yeah. <laughs> also, Dell's internet is like three minutes delayed from all of ours. <laughs> he's like, <laughs> he's yeah. like asking a question. Andrew's like mid paragraph. I love it. All right, here we go. Andrew, act like the act like the oldest guy in this podcast. Okay, uh, with, here's a the first, <laughs> with a doctorate. With a doctorate. Here's oh. the, <laughs> good thing most people listen to this because that was gross. <laughs> all right, here's my first question from the group from the from the group chat from the Facebook group. All right. Question is, I'm the only staff member. Actually, no, let me ask this question first because we get this question a lot. What was the one thing you wish someone told you when you first got your first lead pastor role? What's the, what's the, what's the advice you wish someone told you when you first became a lead pastor? So, Jeff, uh, Tim, and Andrew, what's the piece of advice you wish you knew now? Or you wish you knew then that you know now? Are we going with question three here? Yes, but no one knows the core of the questions. So, gotcha. Yeah. But you cut off for about two minutes. So yeah, sorry. Frank, I think you were the one with the poor internet connection yeah. right now. That might be yeah. the issue. I'm in Milwaukee. It, the internet's frozen right now. Okay. What was one thing you wish someone told you when you first got your lead pastor role? Make sure if you um, decide to do a podcast on your free time, you get good internet. Uh, no. Um, what's one thing that I wish someone would have told me when I first got my lead pastor role? Uh, it is going to be a lot slower to make changes than you think, um, especially when COVID happens. But that's a whole other topic. Um, yeah, it's going to take you a lot longer to do things that you thought you would do quickly. And honestly, there are some things that I thought would change very slowly that did change quickly. But for the most part, I would say you have to slow down. And like you really need to think of it not in terms of unless it's an absolute dire situation where the church is going to close in a year if you don't make drastic changes you should think of it in like five-year chunks um you know that doesn't mean you don't make changes i made changes in my first week but the kind of cultural changes that you see like in a healthy church versus like i wouldn't say my church was unhealthy it was just kind of plateaued and just kind of plugging along and doing okay but the life that we're seeing now just took patience and time to just build relationships. And this will go into some other, some of the other questions, but I just wish somebody would have told me to, to be okay with it. Like being really slow feeling really slow to me. It didn't feel really slow to a lot of other people, but it felt like changes were extremely slow to me. The the Holy spirit is going to do what the Holy spirit is going to do. And it might be, in and through your church, and it might be the church down the street of with the pastor who's a left less gifted speaker with less education. Like you, you don't have a say in it. Your job is to be faithful. Period. That is your only job. 
not to try to be the Holy Spirit. Yeah, I think I think that's really good. Jeff, I, I definitely would echo you. I, I would encourage you personally to slow down because you're going to feel like I, I need to move quickly and I need to move decisively or th- things aren't going to go well. But you, you're actually going to find out the opposite is true. The slower you go, sometimes, usually, um, the more relational capital you're going to build with people and bring people in. Like, don't don't be afraid to invite people in on some of those decisions that are going to have to be made at some point and let them know, hey, I, I don't really want to make this decision alone. I, I'd love to get some input from you too. So I think slowing down, Andrew, to echo your faithfulness comment, that I don't know that we could scream that one loud enough. Like that, that is our calling to be faithful to the congregation that, that God has called us to. And that, that is just, uh, yeah, that's, that's going to be foundational and sometimes really difficult because like Andrew said, that, that church down the street might be doing a lot of the same stuff you are and experiencing a whole lot more growth than, than you are. And that could be tough up front. So slow down, remain faithful. That that's, gonna be hard to beat that advice pastor the church you have not the church you wish mm, you had there it is there it is i was waiting for there it there it is there it is speaking there it is. of this like lead pastor kind of question i think a, a question that we ha- had is someone said i'm the only staff at my church and really struggle with detailed and admin work any tips and ideas to help me manage those those needs of my attention I also generally struggle with effective time management, especially with tedious tasks. Any tips? So I think we've talked about this. Any good uh, productivity, um, efficiency Frank, how are tips? You, Frank, how are you going to take private conversations I have with you and make it into a question? Come on. <laughs> okay. See, I was just going to say, I, don't re- I remember <laughs> thinking this earlier today. I don't remember typing it. So, <laughs> Well, someone asked a question. <laughs> What uh, any, what tips you guys got? I will, I'll, I'll, actually, I'll, I'll answer this one uh, quickly, too. Um, uh, when I first got into ministry, I don't know why I thought that like I didn't need to sharpen my administrative skills, mm. but like I didn't keep a Google Calendar. I didn't really think of like to do lists. Like literally, it was in my head. I thought I could have it. My inbox would have like six hundred new emails, and I, it was just it was just chaos and recklessness. And then I was like, okay, a Google Calendar is like me being a good a good. Um, good use of my time to like take time to schedule my calendar out blocking times of study blocking times to catch up on emails like actually using google calendar i mean you can pay for it if you want like a church domain google calendar thing but like if you have a gmail account it's free and you can use it and there's so many like free widgets and tools to go along with it to schedule meetings all this kind of stuff google calendar is like a free tool that like is a blessing and within google and we all have talked about this we all have different ones i think google also has a thing called tasks which is just a to-do list and like creating like good to-do lists that like have meaningful details i what i love about tasks in google is that you can attach emails into the task so that way if i have like okay i need to follow up with this person i can put the email that they sent me in that task and and I don't know, that has been really helpful in my productivity and my organization and um, and helping me kind of align my, like literally I'll, there'll be days where I will spend maybe 15, 25 minutes thinking about how to align my work for that day to spend my energy the most efficiently and productively. So like if, 
if you struggle with like getting organized, just start with a calendar and a to-do list. And then you can maybe talk about Asana and other kind of like tools. But like for me, that's what started. And now I'm like way more efficient and effective because of that. I also use email as a to-do list. Like I only allow my inbox to be unread so that I can like tackle that task, not just have like a, a giant inbox of unread emails that can be overwhelming. Anyways, what about you guys? Yeah, I, I use unread, e- like I'll mark emails as unread as like a very quick, hot, like top level um, to do task. If it's like a task, I can, it's going to happen today, but later today. I also, um I snooze emails a lot in Gmail. So if somebody emails me and they need a response in like two weeks, I'll just snooze it for like a week out if I'm too busy. Um, I What I, I, I am this, like this is literally my situation. I am the only staff member. I am the only person in this building that I'm sitting in right now. No one cares really what I do when I do it. Like none of my parishioners have a thought in their mind about what I'm doing during the week. I don't think so. um, So I think there's a part of that when you're younger and you get into ministry that you think is so cool. Like, man, I get to control my schedule. It's awesome. And then once you get into it, you realize like, oh, there's nobody giving me priorities. There's, this is incredibly dangerous. This, yeah. Well, it's <laughs> it's for me. I, I I am self-diagnosing myself as probably on some kind of ADHD spectrum, based on all of the things that I've read late, you know, later in life as like part of education and stuff. And I think that I do struggle with that. I know that I've always been terrible at admin type of things. Um. I call it the disease of uh, I'll just do this real quick and I can lose entire days like that. So for me, I have to I have learned that I have to be okay with having multiple systems of productivity of which all kind of work together and I will use one or the other of them for about 3 or 4 weeks really well until I lose interest and then I'll kind of start using a different system that still works and I get everything done. So I've had to learn to be okay with that. There's like an, an um, decision fatigue that happens to me around this time of year with all the productivity tools that everybody's selling. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I got to get all new notebooks that all match. And I got to do the best self like brand. And I got to get this and I got to get the pencils. And, I, and that's part of that like obsessiveness that the way that plays out during a week is it'll be Wednesday at one o'clock. And I will literally sit here and be like, I have no idea what I want to do next. There's a hundred things I could do next. So what I've done, my system is, and I read about this in a book, um, some training. I um, I use my iPhone's uh, reminders app, and I created repeating reminders that repeat once a week. And I basically sat down uh, one day and said, what are the things that I have to do every week? There's like, in the book, it calls it the whirlwind. So there are things that I have to do every week. And that's things like, you know, plan a service uh, and I break down the steps of what that takes, write a sermon. And that takes hopefully around eight ish to 10 ish hours. Uh, I have to do some admin stuff. I post to the social media. I check in with the treasure, all those things. Right. So what I did is I sat down, looked at my week, an, a normal week and I divided up those tasks per day of the week. So on Monday, there's like six things on my reminders list that will pop up as due today. That I can just, because of my focus issues, I can put my reminders app open on my phone or whatever or bring it up on my MacBook and just sit there and knock those six things out. 
And then when I have that extra free time, then I can do other things. And so then I'll, with paper and pen, write a list of anything I think of. Um, I read in a book, your brain is for having ideas, not for keeping ideas. So I literally just keep a stack of three by five cards in my desk with a pencil right there. If I think of something, I pull a card out, I lay it on the desk, I write it down. Like it's things like I need to take something to the bank and then I'm going to stop by Lowe's and get this doorknob to replace the one that broke in the nursery. And then I'm, while I'm at Lowe's, I'm going to get this light bulb and then I'm going to, and so then I just take that list and I go do those things. So I have like, like to-do lists everywhere because otherwise I'm just scatterbrained and I will just, I'll barely make it um, every week on, on a Sunday. I will have done a ton of things and none of them really are matter for what I actually need to do. So I have to force myself to prioritize. And I would just encourage you um, to find someone in your life that is very administratively strong and ask them to like do an evaluation of how you're like prioritizing things and have other people in your church who prioritize things really well um, along with you. Don't just let it be just you. So in terms of the day-to-day management, it's just I would write everything down, whether that's in an app or on a piece of paper or whatever. Um, I would write everything down. I do have like a desk pad thing that I bought uh, that helps me prioritize a full week. Uh, but I have to write things down. And I know what if I write everything down, if I spend like half an hour on Monday morning just writing my week out, I'm way less anxious that week because I don't feel like if you're just holding it all in your head, you always, at least I do, I always feel like I'm on the verge of uh, being overwhelmed. So you're always going to have people call you with a different, you have to leave margin. And if you're just holding everything in your head, it doesn't feel like you have margin. It feels like everything is just right on the surface. And so if somebody says, hey, so-and-so went into the hospital, you're like, oh my gosh, I can't do everything. But if you have it all written down and you're like, I know I have probably five hours extra in this week. Then if somebody calls and says, hey, can you come over here and pick me up or do this, which is going to happen if you're the solo pastor of a church. You're like, it's cool. I can slide some things around and it's fine. And I wrote it all down. So I would just encourage you, like any ideas that pop into your head that you think need to be done, uh, write them down on a piece of paper, put them in an app somewhere. Don't just try to keep it all in your head. I'm going to follow up Jeff's thesis by just two sentences. Um, Stewardship is not just a financial issue. The one-liners today. I'm full of them. I like it. You you need to learn how to how to be a good steward of the things that you've been entrusted to, and that includes administrative stuff. And just because you're not good at something doesn't mean it doesn't need to be done. It's really easy in ministry to be like, "Hey, I'm going to play to my strengths, and you know, I'm going to choose to spend my time doing the things that I'm good and most effective at." Um, as a solo pastor, especially, you don't get to just say, "Oh, I'm not good at that, so I'm not going to do it." Stuff still needs to get done. And so you've got to figure out how to do that. If that means bringing in other people, then bring in other people. But it still needs to get done. I think one of the things I I would would jump in here and say, um, you you, okay? Go ahead. Go ahead. I started talking, then you did. Go ahead. You don't don't have to do everything. For me, that was like really early on. Like there's only two members – two staff members at one time at, at Lakeview. And I, I went to my elders and I just told them I can't do everything like as much as I would love to. And I could be like the most productive guy in the planet. I just can't. And one of those things was creating the monthly agenda for our elder meetings. Like I just wasn't that good at it. So one of my elders said, I'll do that. 
I'll send you, I'll send you a draft every month. If you like it, great. If not, we'll tweak it. And every month he sends me a draft agenda and nine times out of 10, I'm like, yeah, that's, that's better than what I would have said. Or if I need to tweak it, I tweak it. So yeah, use all the productivity apps, but I don't know if there's anything better than just telling people I'm not so great in these areas. I want to grow. Please help me to grow. And as I started talking to people, I found people who actually enjoy doing a lot of the things that I hate doing. It's pretty cool. And none of them are paid to do it. A lot of them, like I have one gal who loves planning center and she just like, she will, she is the guru any free second she has. Hey Tim, I figured this out. What do you think? I'm like, that is awesome. So anytime I need something done on planning center, I know who I'm going to because she's going to create that list. She's going to create that registration link. So yes to all the productivity things that Jeff said. Yes to make sure everything gets done that Andrew said, but also um, there are, there's a really good chance that even if your church is small, there are people who are better at things than you are. I would, I would say, man, find those people, utilize those people, but also sometimes stuff's got to get done and you just got to do things you don't want to do. Like, I don't know if there's any other way to say that yeah. nicely, but sometimes it's just got to get done whether you like it or not, if you can't find the person or not, but please do try to find people. They, they enjoy being used, but, um, sometimes you just got to do it. Yeah, so to kind of go along with all of that, I think I hear, you know, Jeff saying a lot about, you know, personal um, application of how he does it. You know, Tim saying, go get others. And I think one of the things I would just encourage to kind of top all this off was, man, you got to know yourself. If you're going to figure out how to work, figure this admin stuff out, you're going to have to know, because I've, I've had other people come up to me before and be like, hey, you should do this thing. They give me this binder with all these cool dividers and the way they're doing it looks awesome. And, and so I sit down with it. It's not me. I end up trying to force a system onto me that I hate. And uh, if, you're in a, if you're in a larger church, you have to adopt those systems. So it doesn't matter if you like it or not. So the built-in accountability will make you do those systems. But if you're a solo guy on a church, you have to be bought into whatever you're doing. So I know for me, um, I use this app called Spark. And it's freaking fantastic it takes every email that i have and every calendar i have it puts it into one app it's free you can just one swipe to unread emails it shoots them to the top because it has a smart assortment i use that to prioritize everything whenever i got small things i need to get done like when you know taking something to the bank I just pull out my iPhone, say, set an alarm for 4 p.m., say, get your butt to the bank. Like, I do it quick like that because I know if that alarm's on my phone, it's going to go off. I'm not going to accidentally miss it. I ha I use the alarm feature on my phone more than anything up, up to the calendar. But, you know, all that to be said, it's really what works for you, you know? Um, I'm with you, um, Tim. There's some things I've just... I'm not gifted at and I hate doing it, but I have some leaders who love it. It's like drugs, you know? So I'm like, go for it, you know? And then when they do it, celebrate the heck out of that. Send them small little texts saying, hey, like there's a girl, she she's on our team. She made, man, almost 100 stockings probably. I mean, I don't know, it was a ton. She put everyone's name on them, the church logo on them, had them filled up. We had our big Christmas party for family ministries yesterday. Everyone got one. I'm like, that was amazing. I didn't touch that, you know? So just empower when you get your people and they're serving, man, find out what their love language is and thank them that way. Um, because that's what's going to get, get your head above water. So yeah. And then the things you can only do, do those things, 
You know, and so to go back to Jeff's thing about writing it out, another exercise that I think is very helpful, and I, I try to do this like once every year, six months, if things are really flying around your church, write down everything you have to do on a piece of paper and then write down a name for someone else who can do it. And then if there's no one else's name That's that good. can do it, yeah, if there's no one else's name that can do it, you find someone's name to put there. Until you get to the, only the things left on the piece of paper are the things only you can do. Like you're the visionary. You come up with the series. You come, you help. Whatever it is in your context, if you can't put a name by some of those things that can be done by others, then that's where your lid is. And that's where you need to grow because that's what's going to get you where you can get your head above water. So that's an exercise I try to do every now and then because it's real eye-opening. There is a book that I read uh, or a uh, oh. Back in seminary, it said, like, if you can find someone who can do what you can do 80% as well, then that's worthy of giving a task over. Because eventually, they'll fill that gap of that 20%. So oftentimes, in the process of delegating these tasks to be more effective, you're going to have to bring in people who are not who may not do it as good as you. And that's okay. You have to be okay with, like, if Jeff has a doorknob that is going to need to be put on a nursery door or whatever someone else can do it it might not be as clean like you know just maybe better at painting around the door and it's gonna look whatever someone might not be able to do it as good as jeff but like they can get the doorknob on the door that's the win right that like there's that process in delegating that if you can get someone to do 80 percent as good as you even like seven percent as good as you they'll fill that gap and i think it's it's a good way of delegating I think a trap that back, um, if you're a solo you pastor of a small church, group. you can easily fall into. I'm not sure if Frank's done or if he just froze. <laughs> All right, I'm going to keep going. Uh, I think a trap you can accidentally fall into is um, you can become bitter at your congregation when you see things that are not being done that could be done, whether that be like maintenance things or just, you know, other administrative type things. And the the hard thing you have to face is that that's on you now. If you're the senior pastor, the reason they don't know is because you're not doing a good job of letting people know. And um, to go with what Delmar said about growing a team of people who can do what you do uh, or the things that you do, you're doing right now. One of the things that was kind of a changer game changer for me to think about was it's not just, you know, all about me and how I can manage my time as a leader and all that. When I don't invite other people to do things, even if it's at 75 or 80% of the, you know, however good my opinion of doing it is, I'm also removing the opportunity from them to grow. Um, and I think that's a big one to think about. If you're trying to do everything, that means you're not letting anybody else have an opportunity to serve and grow. And that's also bad leadership on you. Well, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll answer the rest of the questions. And we're back. <laughs> My internet keeps going out. most of us are back. We're back. Oh, my goodness. So professional, All right. So, uh, question. Uh, I guess Tim might have the most experience with this. At least he has the most recent experience with this question. How do you onboard new staff members? Tell us when you've onboarded people onto your staff, what are some of the high-level things? Some things are, like, highly nuanced, but what are the kind of the big picture stuff? Yeah, the the first thing I want to get squared away. I mean, this is this is post interview, post hire, post all of those things. They're officially coming on board. Um, they get a welcome email from our treasurer, who's going to get them set up on payroll. Like I, I I hate the payroll hiccups right at the beginning. There's always something 
some little thing they forgot to fill out. So weeks before they officially come on payroll, I try to make sure all of that is squared away. We have a CPA that we work with. So that's, you know, first and foremost, I want to make sure our staff gets paid on time. The paycheck looks good. After they get their first paycheck, I have a, a conversation with them. Hey, how did it look? Any questions? Was it all good? And so that one is big for me because I, I don't want them to, you know, be nervous about whether or not my paycheck is going to be right next time. So first and foremost, we get the pay stuff squared away. Uh, we get them set up with a Lakeview email address immediately so they can go ahead and start notifying the team of their new email. And then we, what I've tried to do with our newest hire is uh, move relatively slow. So we've just gone week to week where we'll have staff meeting and then I block out an hour to two after staff meeting where I sit with the new staff member and just say, hey, here's a couple things. Uh, here's some stuff we'll work on next week. What questions do you have for me? So for example, last week it was, here's here's an easy way to maneuver around ProPresenter and your computer for Wednesday nights because he's our new student pastor. So just showed him a couple of easy tricks that, that'll help him. And I got him acclimated with DYM. It's like, those are the only two things I want him to focus on last week. That way he's not overwhelmed because you guys know in youth ministry, like the list is never ending. So each week I try to take it as slow as possible spend some time training and answering any questions. So really it, I want it to be a process and not just a, all right, you're in good luck, have fun. But every week slowly getting him or them or that person more and more acclimated to feel like they are very much part of the team and then being really open to answering any questions they might have. So I'm asking them every week, how, how's it going? What questions do you have? Where can I help? And it helps that we're a smaller staff and I have the time to, to be able to do that for new, new staff members. Uh, we also just hired a part-time worship director and she will start in January. So that one's going to be a little bit of a different onboarding process because she's not going to be in the office like my student guy is. So that'll be more remote stuff. We're going to be doing remote uh, meetings and whatnot, but similar onboarding to the fact that we're going to take things slow. Here's the tasks I need to get done. How, how can I help? What are some things we can knock out together? And the goal is going to be, you know, I, I want them to have free reign where we're still going to check in and do all those things, but I want to be able to do less and less for them because they're going to be able to own whatever ministry it is that they're, they're running. I think all yeah. that is well and good, but it, it, it's different if, you're onboarding like the the Tim's new youth guy. It's his first full time ministry job, but you yeah. look back to you know a, what a year and a half ago, and Dell was changing positions. If you're hire if you're onboarding someone who has served in ministry for a decade, it's different than if you're onboarding somebody that is right out of school or this is the totally first full time or first vocational ministry gig. So I think it had you can have an onboarding process that you can stick to closely and follow, but it's going to be different for each person. Yep. Yeah. I'll yes, just offer, it has to be. There's, there's generally two things that are happening in a onboarding that I've seen. You have an organic component and a mechanic component. So you have the organic component, which is like what we're doing, sitting around talking through things, really just getting culture in the person. That is so important when you're onboarding is that they get culture fast so that way it things don't seem as foreign to them. You know, if if there's if they understand the language, if they're by if they understand the vision where it comes from, things don't seem as foreign, it's easier for them to get on board. A lot of that's organic onboarding. But then you have more like the mechanic onboarding, which is here is um a paper I'm putting in your hand. I want you to read this book because this book 
is really foundational to how we preach at this church. Or this book is foundational, like death by meeting. You know, I'm going to have you read a couple. You don't have to read them all at once, but by this time, um, I want to do that. So I'll have this couple pathways. And for example, um, all right, Tuesday at four, I need you to go talk to the treasurer. They're going to get you set up, have everything. Um, because it comes back to the pastor shouldn't having to be doing all of the all of the onboarding and assimilation. Like we can delegate this out. Hey, you're going to go have dinner at our our head elder's house. Pick a pick a night. So, and that that generally looks like a piece of paper. So that's that's something else I would offer is that there is an organic component to them onboarding where you're just sit, but there's also a mechanic. And another thing that that's good is like don't make those um, a bulleted list. Make it a boxed list so they can check it off. And, and so that way they can bring, hey, how, how's this? You can actually see the progress. Because that also, early on, it shows you how much drive they're going to have in this position. You know, because let's think about it. When you first come to a church, you don't have a million things to do because you don't know what there is to do. So if you put a piece of paper in their hand, say, here's 20 things I want us to do in the next six months. But if they come to you in like three weeks and like over half of that's checked off, that's going to tell you something real quick about their drive. But if you know six months comes, you're going to know real quick where you're going to need to coach them. So I would say that I would also use that mechanical piece of onboarding them as a way to just really quick get a snapshot of their work ethic. Because let's be honest, when you're interviewing, you kind of know their work ethic. But it's not until they sign the paperwork and are in their office that you know their work ethic. So this gives you a peek behind the door early on as well for that. Yeah, Dell, I like the idea of getting resources in people's hands. So for my youth guy, I created a, you know, it was a 10-page document, and it was just called a Youth Pastor's Guide to Surviving Lakeview Church. And inside the document was, here are the things that need to get done weekly. Here's the stuff that's quarterly. Here's the stuff that's annually. And then here's all the usernames and passwords for every site that I have used in the past that could be useful for you. So he then has that that he can access at any time. And from time to time, I'll just ask him, you know, any questions? Did you have a chance to read through it? And we actually sat down and went through the document. It was a bit overwhelming the first time, but now that he has it, he can then reference it, you know, on a weekly or, or monthly basis. So it's been super helpful. I like how you called it uh, a youth pastor's guide to surviving Lakeview. Uh, I'm trying to think of what, I'm like opening the Google Drive right now, but that we have a, a, a drive it's I can't have I can't find it that quickly, but I have a drive and it's called the parking lot. And in the parking lot, it's all the all the passwords, all the files, all the things that you need for student ministry. And I've been constantly like compiling things that I think are like what I would consider permanent things that like this isn't just a game that I'm using this Sunday. This is like a component that's going to last for like the breath of the student ministry, at least until the next person comes. So, so I have a, what I call the parking lot and um, that's where all that stuff is being held. Um, hey, I, uh, I got an, another question. Uh, we also just got a new question I'm gonna add. I'm gonna ask that at the end, but I'm gonna ask this question first. I think, Tim, did you do any ministry outside of Florida? Like, did you ever like bounce around? Or you, you were mostly like where you, you're kind of like stationed where you've grown I yeah, I mean, from Jacksonville yeah. to Tampa, but this my, yeah, my ministry, sure. my ministry lifetime has been here in, in Tampa. Yeah. And then Dell, you've basically covered in South Carolina. You haven't like really left there, right? Yeah, upstate and then back down. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I know Andrew has been to Texas. Jeff and I both come from Florida, and we moved to different, uh, very, very different states, um, very different cities. So this question is actually really interesting. 
Um, it may, maybe be, be interesting from Dell and Tim if you've had someone from out of state come to work with you, um, how you've helped them. But like the question is, how do you naturalize to a new city? I've been at a church and town for almost two years and still feel like the new kid on the block in a small in my small town. How do you become one of the locals? And that that one part of the sentence I think is important. It's a small town. That's a whole different caveat. Yeah, dude. Than even, Two years ain't nothing in a small I town. I can speak to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> okay. Well, then, yeah. So how do you naturalize to a new city, especially in a small town? Because um, try that in a small town. It won't work. <laughs> you know, how do you... Uh, how do you naturalize in a in a new place as you are becoming a pastor in a new church? Have, have, are any of y'all pastoring Sports, in a small town? schools, and coffee. Sport. Yeah, I, I walk to bad. lunch every day. Yeah? yeah? I mean, that's yeah. you're pretty big, Andrew, because yeah, like, uh, those are the things people do in a small town. It's it's all right. You want that? You want that? There's no magic uh, pill for this, but I'll tell you this: the key to not being the new guy is don't be the new guy. You got to commit to stay your butt there. You got to commit to stay with them. You got to commit like. You, and this is the same, huh? Yeah, this is the same anywhere. Like you, you're not just gonna roll into some town and immediately them take you in. But also, not all small towns are the same. Like even in that regard, because I'm in a small town now. There's another small town beside me. I Okay, and here's how this works. My small town I'm in now has an Air Force base and army here. So people can come in quicker into the ethos because it's a, it's a it, the, the turnover in our town is high. You go down one town to where I was born, you can live there 25 years, and they'll be like, yeah, that's that kid from Ohio. Don't matter because you're not – from you don't have the last names of the people in that small town, and, and sometimes, and, and if you're in that kind of small town, the best thing I can encourage you to do is to own that. You know, like own that instead of trying because the other way it's going to come across like you're trying to fit in and you're not. Own being a foreigner, and the, that'll actually buy you a little bit more than trying to be a part. Um, because here's the thing: people in a really small town they want to show you the ropes of that really small town. I'm going to take you down to where Ned's used to be, and we're going to drop a line down there. I'm going to show you how to catch the biggest catfish you can. You know, like little small town, they want to teach you that kind of stuff. So be very humble. Be very humble. And, and I would encourage you, especially if you're in a small town, as much as you may love the, your old town where you're from, it's okay to mention it. But avoid, well, back when I was in my last church or back in where I come from, um, because like there is a lot of, a lot of, be humble when you're sharing where you're from, but ultimately, yeah, I mean, I moved from a small town to a small town. It takes about four or five years to quit being seen as the new guy. It re I mean, it really does. And like Andrew said, yeah, you have to be in those places where the people gather. So a lot of towns have chamber of commerce. I'm on the chamber here in my hometown. It's very helpful to be in that. Um, also I find depending on your context, I have a, a side hustle I do with videography. It puts me in front of more people than actually working at the church does. So in that regard, if you can find another avenue to get into your small town as someone who's an advocate for that town, that's very important. If, 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 if you're new to the town and they see you as an advocate for that town, they're going to take to you faster and because a lot of times, let's be honest, 
when youth pastors show up to a, sc- a school or a pastor shows up to an organization, most of the people there have this unspoken, he wants me to come to his church, right? It's very, it could come across that way. But when you figure out a way to get in your community as an advocate for your community, their mind is, this is a guy who wants something for me. And that changes the entire mindset. So that's kind of my whole thing. Stay there a while, be humble, and uh, get plugged into the local avenues in ways that actually help the community. If you can find a coffee shop in town, go there every day. So you're, you're, if you're a coffee drinker, sit in the same coffee shop every day at roughly the same time. Um, if you're in a context that a different kind of beverage shop might endear you to the community better, then go there and do that as well. Like Frank in Wisconsin. But, there you go. But every elementary school needs more volunteers. Every elementary school on the planet is dying for male volunteers. I I won an award for our county or the PTA at the elementary school where my wife teaches won an award for male engagement for a program that me and another dad put on two times, four hours of total work. And we won the award for male engagement for the entire county's PTA, which is like literally a hundred elementary schools. So every elementary school needs male volunteers. If you want to endear yourself to a community, get that principal on your side, just show up to the public elementary school, get background checked and say, what kids you want me to eat lunch with? Who can I tutor? How can I run sound for a program? Because the music teachers, for whatever reason, are always terrible at running sound. Um, And then get involved in sports. Like Jeff is coaching baseball. And I am guessing that when Jeff talks here in a second, he's going to say that he's had more doors open because he's coaching baseball than any sermon he's ever preached. Let me tell I'm sorry. But do do what Jeff does. (laughs) That is what that that's what you should do. See what Jeff is doing and copy it in your own context. WWJD. First of all, Andrew, smoothest, That's what it stands for. smoothest humble brag over winning an award that I've ever heard. Well done, sir. Well done. Well done. Uh, I, would just... I don't have it. It's, it's at the school. I never even got to touch it. <laughs> That's how humble you I are. You even, don't even want to have I it. I wasn't even invited to the banquet where it was presented. But if you were invited, you probably would have been serving. Am I right? Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I would just say like two years ain't nothing. It Don't be like... The fact that you still feel like the new guy is because you are still the new guy. Um, you've only been there for two years. I, and this goes back to the whole, it's the first time I'm a, senior, I'm a senior pastor. Things move really slow. And here's the, one of the things I would think about, especially with um, feeling like you're the new person at a church. What are the like high important days for a church family? They're Christmas, they're Easter, maybe Mother's Day. And maybe you have one or two other holiday things. So if you count the number of Christmases and Easter's you've been with that group of people, that will tell you how new you kind of still are to them. If you've only been there for two Christmases and two Easter's, you're still pretty new. It's going to take you being with them for five or six Christmases and Easter's before they start to really see you as their pastor and you're one of them and you're not the new guy anymore. Um, And that feels like, you know, I mean, before you... Before you know it, a decade's going to go by. And yeah, that's just how it is. Um, you're going to spend your entire 30s or your entire 40s with a group of people before you're not kind of the new guy. I noticed it wasn't until um, I had been here for about four years before people stopped introducing me as this is our new pastor and just introduced me as this is our pastor. Um, I would say one of the things that has helped me in in my context because of where I am I'm in Baltimore. It's the oldest Catholic diocese in the country. 
obviously there's a lot of scandals around Catholic churches and priests and organized religion. I don't introduce myself as a pastor when I go to places that are not church related. Like there are people who just know me as one of the coaches at the high school, or they just know me as um, their kid's softball coach. Now, eventually I don't hide it, but eventually they figure out that I'm a pastor. Uh, typically it happens because they ask me to do something on a Sunday morning and I'm like, ah, I can't, I'm pretty busy. And then they ask why. So they already have trust built with me before they get hit with, oh, this guy leads an organized religion, which I don't trust because of all the abuse and because of, so I tend to, in my context, not lead with that. Um, and that has actually gained me a lot of trust. Andrew, you said something while the internet was cutting in and out at the beginning of this question about sports. Um, that's a big one for here. Um, you know, if you're into sports, start being interested in the teams that people around you pull for. Um, I'm not saying necessarily change your fanship, but you can, if you want to, uh, because sports are actually meaningless. Um, so cheer for the teams that are in your city, but Tim relax. Um, go to this, go to the, um, go to the games. If people invite you to games and the bigger theme there is to involve yourself in the rhythms of the rhythm of the life of the people that you're with. So everywhere that you live has different rhythms of the year. Um, in Baltimore, things really revolve around opening day for the Orioles is a big, like everybody just is like basically off work. And then the start of the season for the Ravens is also a big deal. Um, and so people really love that. And so you have to know that if you're going to be a regular, you can't be like not participating in those things um, or it's, or it's not going to work. So, you know, around this time of year, everybody's going to breakfast with Santa and going to see Santa and Santa houses where I live. Uh, so we participate with those kind of things. Um, and, you know, like Andrew said, getting yourself involved and Delmar, you said you're part of the, um, an association in your neighborhood, chamber of commerce, yeah, the chamber. I'm the vice president of my neighborhoods. Yeah. I'm the vice president of my neighborhoods improvement association. Um, involve yourself in those type of things and, um, become not even just not a new guy to church people, but become not a new guy to people who are not involved in your church, in your community and build trust like that. And you'll see um, a, a lot of things, you know, a lot of fruit begin to happen. So, but it's going to take you, I would, again, I would set your, set your clock on five years. So you're about halfway to not being a new guy. Yeah. I think this is really good stuff. I would say, um, to, to echo Andrew's comment about finding that coffee shop and going there, I would say the same is true for your local diner. If you're if you're a small town, um, you've got a local diner that everyone loves. You should you should get to know the people in that diner. Um, and there's a waitress who's actually the mayor. Exactly. Whether or not uh, she's been elected, she's in charge of that town, and whether or not people like you. Oh, dude, that is that is the absolute truth. I've I've been going to the same local diner in the the Trinity Newport Ritchie area for uh, going on 14 years now. Once a week, uh, I've only missed a few weeks in that. And it's usually just when I'm on vacation. So I, I know the entire staff, they routinely invite people to Lakeview Church. The staff does because they know me so well there. Uh, and the same is true for my Publix. Um, I'm, I'm at the same Publix on purpose because I want to know everybody in that Publix. So wherever your local grocery store is, um, I would say go to that one often I, I intentionally do not shop for the week so I can go to the grocery store more often. Like that's a, that's a thing that I do just to make sure I know everybody in that store. So I love Jeff's thought of 
don't just become the the non new guy at church become the non new guy in your community yeah like, like today at, a, as we're recording this i'm thinking about my schedule for today because one of the boys that i coached in baseball invited me he's he's taking photography he's doing photography right now for basketball season and he said hey coach you should come to the basketball game today it's at four o'clock now i didn't have that in my plan for today but i just know that if i show my face at that game for even an hour it's going to buy me a lot of it's going to gain me a lot of trust with not only him, but all the other guys that are kind of part of the baseball team that will see me around the school. Um, they're cheering for them, pulling for them. So, like, those are the kind of things you have to be willing to do that might take you outside. And I have an event tonight and I'm kind of stressing about how am I going to do it all. But if I even go sit in the gym for an hour and watch some probably some pretty good basketball, actually, um, and just just even the other coaches seeing me there the other school staff seeing me sitting there is going to do something for not being like the new guy who never is interested in our stuff. On top of that, Jeff, you can take a kid with you and kids don't care if you're taking them to a major league game or a high school game, they get their popcorn or pretzel and you get the dad points too. I love a high school gym with popcorn. Dude. Also, I told you guys, I get free access to any County high school sporting event. So, you know, I'm going to do that. Coach, coach sports. It's fun. Yeah. Um, Dell said this is like being the new guy in a city oftentimes is the leverage you need to get people to talk to you. Um, I've, I'm Jeff. I, I'm interested to know if you feel this way. Actually coming from Florida is one of the weird things about like, it's a state that almost everybody has visited. So like people will be like, Oh, Florida, like I've been to Disney World, I've been to Universal, I've been to this, you know, like a big thing in the Midwest is going to like the Panhandle beaches. And so they'll be like, oh, I go to this beach every every summer growing up or whatever. And so I've been able to utilize that as like as a former Floridian. I'm like, hell yeah, I know that area. Or I'll make a joke like that's not Florida, that's Southern Alabama. You know, I'll like have these like bits about Florida that connect with these people. And um and then I'll ask very honestly, like, like a common thing is I didn't know that drinking was as big as it is here as it is. And so like when I first got a house, the housewarming gift from multiple people was six packs of beer, like all these different craft beers. And I was like, is this a test to see if I'll accept it to get fired or something? Like I didn't know it was so I came I, I came from a, a place where like alcohol wasn't like the thing that you talked about at church that much. So it was very unusual, but like you came going from to... Arkansas. <laughs> yeah. A... No, Frank. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Going you, from the you Bible belt County. Yeah. Going from the Bible belt yeah. to non Bible belt is like, is it's, wor- yeah. People do not have the stigma around beer that they had in Florida. Going, going to, ba- going to bars or, and, and seeing a bar in your context might sound weird, but like going to a bar is like going to a coffee shop here with people. It's like, Hey, after work, Let's go grab a beer at this specific pub, at this specific bar, and that's where you have those like social hours. And and it's not taboo for a pastor to do that here. There's, I just found out there's a church in town that uh, <laughs> instead of having a coffee shop, they like have wine and beer. Uh, and there's in their Sunday morning like gatherings. It's a little weird. I, I still think it's a little odd, but like I thought that was interesting. Um, I, I, I keep thinking like, is this my legalism in my back? Like uncomfortable with this or is this like a good idea? I don't know. But, um, but yeah, these are all really good ideas. I love it. Be involved in the community, not just be involved in your church. And, and yeah, I love Tim. You said you don't 
You don't go grocery shopping for the week intentionally, so you're you're there often. I think about every time I'm at my grocery store or my Target or whatever, I have my AirPods in. Like I don't want to talk to anybody. Maybe I shouldn't have my AirPods in. Maybe I should be more available to talk to people. You know, so um, that's awesome. Hey, uh, let's wrap up the show. We're almost at an hour. Someone someone said our shows was too short, so I want to give them a bone here and say, hey, here's your hour long episode. Uh, Question number five, last question I want to ask you guys. All of us come from a youth ministry background. So for those who have gone from youth ministry to a different position, it's the age-old question. What was the moment that you realized that it's time to move on to a different role? For you, what was that moment when you were like, maybe I'm not a youth ministry lifelong person. Maybe it's time for me to do this next thing. What was it for you? The moment I knew is the first time someone said, hey, can you help with youth ministry? And I said, all right, if I have to. <laughs> I'm not an exclusively youth ministry background, but I will say the moment I knew was when uh, I was in a search in between ministry roles. And um, actually, it was my wife who said, you know, I think you might want to think about senior pastor. It was when I started to realize that I wanted to um, be able to have more of a primary voice of decision making in the life of a church. Some of that was just young anxiousness, and some of it was just realizing that I was going to struggle um, to feel like if the role that I was looking at was going to be another mixed role, and it was going to be youth and young, or sorry, worship and young adults. And I was probably, if I took that job, I was probably going to take it with kind of like, you know, lying to myself a little bit about wanting to do this. And so it was my wife who kind of said, like, I think you need to pull the trigger on looking at the role of lead pastor. And a big part of that for me was realizing that preaching was part of the toolkit, like beginning to preach and realizing it was actually pretty energy giving. And um, knowing that that was part of the part of what I could bring to a church was the moment that I realized it was probably time to, to begin looking for the senior pastor role. Yeah. I'd say I, uh, I realized that I was no longer a youth pastor the day my founding pastor resigned and we were in need of a lead pastor. So uh, two days later, and I was you assuming the role. needed to have a sermon ready for Easter Sunday two days later. Yeah, I, I really didn't have much of a choice and, and knew that that was the direction that that things were going. I just thought it was going to be about three years later so I could finish seminary and I was not given that time. So found out when my founding pastor resigned. I don't know that there was ever that moment You know, when I took the job here at I, I guess when I accepted the job here at Safety Harbor, it was, a, oh, okay, I guess I'm a senior pastor now. But even up through the interview process and uh, to the job offer, the other church that I was talking with um, was for a youth ministry role. I, I love student ministry. I I never had the desire to be my kid's youth pastor because I wanted my kids to have the kind of relationship with a youth pastor that I had with my youth pastor and that I had with some teenagers. And so I was hoping that my kids would get to experience that um, from a different youth pastor. Ironically, I'm leading my student ministry at our church now, so my boys get me, and it is their favorite hour of the week, which just blows my mind because I'm rehashing DYM series that Tim and I wrote seven or eight years ago, and my kids just love it. Um, so I think God calls us to obedience toward to, to him, and for some people, that can be a very specific role. Hey, I want you to dedicate your life to this one thing. 
But for most of us, I think God says, I'm calling you to follow me. And um, if you do that, it might look different on different steps of the journey. And so for this season and probably, you know, the next couple of decades, I will not be in student ministry. But there was never a moment when I was like, oh, I'm done being a youth pastor now. But it is nice not having youth pastor paychecks anymore. Am I right? You know, it's 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 interesting what Tim said. It made me think for a moment how many youth pastors have transitioned to other roles because of unhealth from senior leadership. You know what I'm saying? Like there was a gap that needed to be filled. Youth pastors tend to be the Swiss army knife in the church. And then by being able to be being forced to step into those gaps, they're like, Oh, I'm flexing a muscle. I never got to use before. Oh, I I'm preaching and adults like my message. Oh, um, I actually, use my administrative skills in a broader sense for the rest of the church. And I like it. Like, I wonder how many people who are in those situations where they're having to fill the gap. If that's when they tasted and saw, Oh, that is, that that's makes me think outside of student ministry, because I think for a little bit, that's what was me. Like when I was in my context, I was um, getting really frustrated that I didn't have a church that my students were graduating into. Like they would graduate and then they would leave our church because there was nothing for young adults. And it was like a big age gap between the youth ministry and then like uh, young marrieds that had like elementary age kids. And there, so that gap, kid, people, young adults felt like they couldn't stay there. And it was a, literally like in, in a sense a dying church because of that. And so as I was trying to make the effort to reach that community above and beyond what I was required to do for my youth ministry position, I was like, maybe this is a taste of what I want to do long-term. And that's how I kind of ended up in this campus pastor role. I think 10 years later after I had that first moment. So, um, so anyways, it's interesting uh, what Tim said. I wonder how many people, if they were in a healthy church environment and they like were able to just focus on student ministry, that maybe they would be in student ministry a lot longer. Delmar, what's your thoughts? Yeah. Yeah, let me say a couple things, because um, I do still work in student ministry, but I am over the family ministries. So I have a lot broader. I preach on the stage at least once a month. I, I guess you would say I'm more of an associate pastor role at our church in a lot of ways. And one of the things I would just say, especially if, if you're a student guy listening to this podcast, um, be wary if you're at a church and they have an opening and they just want to move you into it to fill a spot, right? Like it may be a call or it may, uh, it might not be God calling you. It might be somebody else calling you um, because they have a need and they want to fill it. Now, all that to say, um, for me, I think whenever I started to feel the call out of full-time student ministry only, is when I saw the fullness of modern day student ministry being played out and the fallout rate of student ministry is so high. And it was real easy for me just to do some quick inventory and say, who are the students still in church? 80% of the ones who stayed in church had families connected to it. And I said, well, that seems to be my heart's moving in that direction. And there are guys who were called to, to gather the masses of students and preach the gospel and sow seeds. I'm not bagging on that. But I'm saying for me, I, my heart is really longevity in the church amongst the congregants. So I kind of became 
disenfranchised with what had become the modern student ministry model. So that's why I work with, with in more of a family ministry context. And one day will I be uh, a lead pastor church? I mean, it's, it's possible. I'm not opposed to it. But also one of the things I will just say, if, if anybody's listening to this, man, don't force God's timing. The worst thing you could do is rush God's timing if you're feeling that call. Because um, you ever met somebody who was so absurdly called to it that their education outgrew their humility? And then how did their ministry work out? Um, I would say maybe God would have you stand there a little bit longer to keep you humble because student ministry is a great place to be humbled, <laughs> right? Um, because hopefully that means you have leadership over you who can guide you and coach you and cares for you. Because when you when you just assume that that top position, um, you're there. Sometimes there's not as much guiding and accountability. Instead, there's special called meetings, <laughs> right? So so I would encourage really work through. Um, that calling and make sure you're not just moving because it's convenient because other people tell you, you can do it or because you're in an unhealthy situation or because you yourself are unhealthy. Any of those reasons you really need to sink down. Is this a calling? Um, and really sink your teeth into that. Get some mentors around you. Um, put some accountability, be in the word. If you're married, be with your spouse in this conversation. If you feel in the tension. So, um, pull the godly people in your life sweet jeff do you have any uh any advice of when you felt uh the pull out of student ministry slash also worship ministry for you i shared a whole piece on that your internet must have been down you're right you're right <laughs> well this is a good way to wrap up the show then our internet's been we really cluttered out 2024 oh man <laughs> yeah Hopefully this isn't like an omen of like uh, what 2024 is going to be like. Well, well anyway, we don't Frank, believe when, in when omens. You, the, the first time <laughs> you, you, the internet cut out was you're like, this is going to be the uh, last practically pastoring episode. And then there was like an eight <laughs> second delay before we heard you say of 2023. So I thought Good. we were all breaking up after this. We were going to go the ways of one direction. Oh, wow. Well, <laughs> I'm, never, I'm glad we're not. Never. You mean in the Backstreet right? Boys. We're going to come back in 20 years. Nobody wants us here. Uh, so, <laughs> hey, we're going to be performing at Epcot. We're going to be performing at Epcot stage, and Andrew's going to watch us and be like, I'm just an annual pass holder. I'm just here by mistake. <laughs> I wouldn't know. If Backstreet Boys was at Epcot, I'd be there every night. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Sweet. Well, hey, Merry Christmas. Thanks for listening to Practically Pastoring. Uh, it's been cool watching the Spotify rap, seeing people who – for some reason, have us in their top five. A few folks, we are your number one podcast. I'm guessing you listen to your podcast on another app, and we're the only thing you listen to on Spotify, because why are we your number one podcast? <laughs> this makes no sense. But thank you so it's much for listening. The, the three what? people that want to watch us on video, check us out on Spotify. That's what it is. That's what it Thanks, is. Spotify. They want to see it. They want to see our internet just be choppy the whole time while we're <laughs> on our on our video call. But uh, thanks again. Join our Facebook. Follow us on Instagram. We love you all, and we'll see you next year. My name is Frank. I'm Jeff. I'm Delmar. Yo soy Andres. And I'm Timothy Miller. See you next year. Bye. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. That's Thanks what InSync said. Get connected to other pastors by joining the Practically Pastoring Facebook group, where we get to share ideas and make each other better.